4: Locked the Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. Huh? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind. Are you telling me you
1: built a time machine out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Cancer Show. That's hot.
4: Hey, hey, kids! (laughs) People
0: seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late.
1: And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zachary.
0: Monday, September 28th, and we are once again live on the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. We are your friendly neighborhood weekly social webcast, finally giving that voice to nearly five million young adults affected by cancer. Got cancer under 40 sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is on the air. Welcome to tonight's broadcast, my friends, because we're here to change the world, one chemo infusion at a time. And share all of our collective crapness. This broadcast is a program of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. One of the nation's leading grassroots advocates for the next generation of survivors and caregivers. It's all about us. And we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight. And sticking it to the system that's ignored us for way too long. The past three decades of cancer progress have failed the next generation, so there's no reason to think the next surgery will be any different unless change happens right here, right now. So join us and be the change,
4: uh,
0: be the change that we'd like to see happen. Hell, we invented Google, Facebook, Twitter, and kept saying giant on American Idol all those weeks. We can do anything we want. This is Generation Cancer. It is our fight. It is our duty to give back to our own generation. We have the sheer numbers, the voting power, and the influence to change the rules. Because remission is not an excuse for a cure. And survivorship is all that matters. Last week's show... September 21st, singles with Stupid Cancer, Survivor Spotlight, Landon Dunning, young adult survivor, ovarian cancer, singer-songwriter, and contributing artist to so I2Y so I Benefits TV Volume 2, Julie Larson, young adult program coordinator at Cancer Care, Tracy Maxwell, young adult survivor, ovarian cancer, and executive director of Hazing Prevention. Tonight's show, Les, Legislate This... I messed that up. I want to say with a Brooklyn accent, legislate this, that wasn't good either. Ann Willis, young adult survivor, Ewing Sarcoma, manager of survivorship programs at the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, Duncan Cross, healthcare blogger, Molly Daniels, vice president for field advocacy for the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, network,
4: network, network, network. Alrighty,
0: so hello and welcome to yet another fun, fun, exciting run through the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to all of our first time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Coming at you live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a 13 year young adult pediatric brain cancer survivor. Joining me live in the studio tonight, as always, our Chief cancer anarchist, Jack
2: Bufart. Hello, Jack. What's up, Matthew? How you doing?
0: I am fabulous. Jack will be monitoring our live concurrent interactive chat room, so if you have something to say, let him have it, and grill him with simple questions and stump his small brain with third-grade arithmetic. Third-grade anything.
2: Third-grade anything. That Except jokes and
0: potty humor. That Except, I get. Got it. We actually don't have any live uh, studio audience members here tonight. Uh, we were going to have uh, a brand new I2Wire, who I know is listening tonight. Her name is Laura Otis. Yes. And uh, Laura recently discovered I2Y. She is a recent survivor of ovarian, cervical, breast, everything. Cancer? Everything. Recent survivor of cancer. She's a total rock star. And uh, she went to the Stupid Cancer Happy Hour here in New York and uh, met our team and fell in love. And uh, today's her birthday, so we want to wish her a happy birthday.
4: Happy birthday. Thing from another world there we go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Calm down, Porky. So, happy birthday, Laura Otis. Sorry you couldn't be here tonight. You're uh, in the hospital. We're sending you our best. She's in the hospital. And, you know,
2: I have good news and I have bad news regarding Laura. Okay. The good news is that she's turning 30 today. Woo! The bad news is she spent it in the hospital. Woo! She, she had a 103 degree fever. All right, well. But I was visiting her. I guess that would be the bad news for her birthday, too, is that she spent the day with me hanging around her hospital room. But she's in good spirits, and she's going to be okay. And, Laura, just hang in there, and we'll celebrate your unbirthday the other 364 days out of the year.
0: Speaking of unbirthdays, it's Carol's unbirthday. So, as always, it is my esteemed pleasure to introduce my official partner of crime here on the Stupid Cancer Show, hailing from the windy city of Chicago, but in Pittsburgh tonight. Fellow young adult survivor, author of the acclaimed book, Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in Your 20s and 30s, the lovely, talented, blogtastic, and spectacular, the one and only Carol Rosenthal. Hello, Matthew. So I realize that you're in Pittsburgh for Yom Kippur with your family, but I thought it would be much cooler if you lied to me and said that you were cleaning up after the G20 summit.
1: Oh yeah, it would have been much. Cleaning up after the T20 summit.
0: Well, you know, shaking hands, getting business cards, convincing France to like, you know, do do stuff for us.
1: I just had bagels and whitefish salad. I don't know what could beat that.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, what?
1: I had bagels and whitefish salad. Yeah, Jack, get with oh. the Jewish
0: program.
2: Oh.
1: Yeah, and everybody spent the day. You guys still packing. have corn beef and
0: corned beef and cabbage? <laughs> We have corned beef and pastrami.
1: No, that's when my family <laughs> celebrates Christmas. <you> know? yeah. <laughs> that, that's the Rosenfall Christmas celebration. Um, yeah, no, everybody fasted for the day, except for me, of course. Um, I just stayed home and cooked for everybody who was fasting. So everybody's downstairs picking out on bagels and plum cake, and, and I'm joining you all.
0: What loyalty, I have to say. What absolute loyalty.
2: I'm joining you, too.
0: You hear that, people? Yeah. Carol is giving up her Jewishness and Jewish food and gribbiness and guilt to be here for you. You know and what, I... Carol? You inspired me. I'm going to give up my Jewishness, too.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, it, it's really my mom. It's my mom's doing Because I said, Mom, you know, I've got the stupid cancer show on Monday nights, but I'm going to come to pittsburgh and celebrate yom kippur and i'm gonna skip the night and she said what are you guys talking about and i said we're talking about health care reform she said you're not skipping that show i are gonna march upstairs and do that health care reform show this is too important so it's like uh,
0: reverse guilt
1: exactly
2: <laughs> <laughs> is that is that something that goes on in the jewish community guilt
0: well, well you're you're irish right you're not italian
2: no so. we just drink our, our problems yeah, exactly. right. we
0: don't acknowledge them we just drink to, <laughs> we just drink to them <laughs> Well, happy uh, Yom Kippur, Carol.
1: Thank you. You too.
0: Zaid Good Yontif. What, what else did they say? No, Shana Tova was last week.
1: Yeah. that's about it.
0: So, so I, I have to regale everybody with my trip to Canada. Yeah. Do tell. Hey, eh? Exactly. Exactly. I went to uh, Ottawa this week, which I now understand is spelled O-T-T-A-W-A, not O-T-T. Oh, wait, that's the wrong O thing. O W A. And um, it was actually – it's a beautiful city. It's very old. It's got a lot of modern buildings juxtaposed against, like, these, like, 17th century French castles. It's its really an interesting city. The weather was good. I stayed at the Westin, which was like this um, – it was like an anachronism. It didn't belong there. It was, like, too modern compared to the backdrop of the city. But I was there for the uh, first annual go public um, – cancer prevention summit, I'm messing that up, they're going to hate me, but it was all about...
2: You were at the G19 Summit. I was
0: at the the G19 Summit.
2: You came up a dollar
0: short. I did. And um, there were a lot of key stakeholders there, a lot of good players there, but I think overall I got to meet a whole host of young adult survivors from Canada and get their perspective on how ridiculous our country is in their mind how healthcare really is in their country, and uh, what we can do as a collective movement here in the States to raise more awareness uh, for our age group up there. And then I went to Montreal for a day and actually met with five incredible young adult survivors who run an advocacy group called Hope and Cope. And everyone works with a group called Young Adult Cancer Canada, which is formerly real-time cancer helmed by the extremely tall uh, Jeff Eaton, who is, well, he's just that, he's extremely tall. But Jeff Eaton is the rock star young adult of Canada. And uh, anyway, that was my, my trip. I had this dish called poutine, if anyone's ever heard of that. It sounds dirty. that sounds very it's, close to something that I got my mouth washed out with. So I know once it's P O U T I N E, poutine. That's not how I would have spelled it. I know, I know. And uh, <laughs> poutine is it's like French fries with cheese curds and beef gravy in like a bucket.
1: That and sounds disgusting. They put it in a bucket so you can vomit on top of it.
0: It's. I gotta tell you something though. It is. It, it's quite extraordinary. Because when I put on my Facebook status and I'm going to Canada, like 14 people are like, do this, do this, do this, eat this, eat this, eat this, go here, go here, go here. So I tried to do as much as I could. I, what I didn't do, and I'm glad that I didn't do it, they have this <laughs> – Jack's going to start throwing up in his mouth now. They have something called a – I can't
2: even – do, do you want me to not look at you?
0: <laughs> I can't even say. It's called a beaver tail.
2: Yum. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Anyone in the chat room heard of a beaver tail? I like those. Oh. I enjoy those separately. Beaver tail is like this sort of pastry. It like like a lobster tail at a, in a pastry shop here. We gotta oh cha- I can't
2: even look at the chat room right now.
0: <laughs> it's a beer, It's like this long pastry which is covered in like sugar and stuff, and it's actually very delicious. I didn't get a chance to have one, but I passed a, a, a little. Boutique restaurant called Beaver Tail, and the line was out the door. I am
1: so, just so what, glad. And you didn't that take a picture
0: of.
2: Not
1: regulate the show. What? I'm so glad that the FCC does not regulate this. Show. <laughs> no, we got the
2: WTF regulating <laughs> <Yeah>. this show. <laughs> right. So you passed Beaver Tail. You did not take a picture and tag my as the side.
0: <laughs> I, I I ate poutine, but I didn't eat Beaver Tail. So there you go.
2: That's something you can't say ten times. God fast.
0: bless Canada. But I will tell one thing, and, and we can talk about this really quickly uh, to you. Uh, I. I did a poll on Facebook a couple of days ago, basically, that can someone please give me the real scoop on whether your health care system is great or it sucks. And 20 people left comments, and 10 were nice and 10 were not. So it, I, I was in Canada, and I just decided to ask people, tell me the truth. And apparently when you actually have an emergency situation, it's very good. But if you're just looking for, like, palliative care, like you, you, you're you not feeling well, but you just want to get, like, uh, you know, an X-ray or something, that could take a couple of weeks. But if you have cancer, they take you right away, and the care is pretty good. How convenient. I know. So I'm not quite sure if that's accurate or not. Um, we should totally do a show next season all about Canada and really get some people on the show that can can give us the lowdown on this. What's up, Jack? Do you know – by any chance, if they have
2: any success with early early detection compared to all of us stage four people,
0: that's a good question. I think it it also comes down to this notion of palliative care. Where if you just want a general checkup, if you just want to go in for some blood work, if you just want to, if you just you know looking to keep yourself, you know in a good state or or something hurts, it could take a few weeks to get that appointment. But that's because it's free and everyone is taking better care of themselves. So there's more of an awareness, apparently, of living a healthy lifestyle. So people want to get checked up on things. They don't ignore symptoms nearly as much, as far as I'm to understand. So the backup is because it's a good system. If there was no backup, it would mean no one was caring about their health and everything was only acute care, like in this country.
1: Well, I can't tell you how many emails I get from folks who have read my book, Young Cancer Patients, who email me from Canada, giving me their condolences, because they read in my book about all of these young adults who are dealing. I mean, everybody interviews the United States, and so they're like, "Oh my God, they're not sorry that I had cancer. They're sorry that I live here. I had no idea. I'm so sorry that you have to go through that in the United States. They're like, it's just totally different. So, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, to have a show comparing. Yeah, I
0: mean, and again, even even after the Facebook poll and the people that I spoke with in Canada, and this was a whole big cancer health summit in Canada, I'm talking to doctors, and everyone's telling me a different story, and I can't really formulate a an, an objective opinion on whether it's better or for worse. But the one part that I did understand, which made sense to me, is that in Canada, it, it's not socialist. You you can basically buy into a higher system and see doctors. More urgently, if you pay for it, so it's a, you know it's better than what we have here because at least there's something if you can't afford it, but if you can afford it, you can opt into something which will get you into care more effectively
1: and I think that we should also i mean the examples that i'm setting the examples that you're setting are anecdotal, and so I think it'd be yes. good if we looked too at you know what is, what does this statistics show, what about quantifiable data and what does that reveal about Mortality rates and life expectancy rates and how people, you
0: know, are handled. Right. I'd also be curious to know what the statistics are, you know, population adjusted um, based on ratio. Are more people sick in Canada or are less people sick in Canada? I will tell you this one quick thing. I went out for breakfast in Montreal with this crew, and we went to this – excuse me. It was sort of like a Denny's. But it wasn't like a Denny's, because you say Denny's, you think like disgusting food. It was like a chain restaurant. Waffle House? Yeah, yeah. Le Le Waffle House. Oh, it's, it's actually Le Crepe House. Le Crepe House. No, it really was like a Crepe Denny's. But every single thing on the menu came with a whole bunch of fruit. There were no, like, French fries. There were no home fries. You can only like everything was was just just,
1: a bucket of gravy and fried cheese curds, right?
0: And Tabasco sauce. Well, I think you go across the street and get your poutine. But if you really want to have a healthy breakfast, like it was just like, and this wasn't like a healthy, uh, it wasn't built as like a health food or a healthy place. Just, I just think by natural culture, there's less of a, you know, of of an impetus to have fried things with everything you eat. Like, they, the fruit, it's just like fruit came with everything by, by default. I just I found that very intriguing. It's interesting that it doesn't carry down here. No. You have to ask for fruit down here. It costs you money. They're up there. It's free.
2: It comes out of a can. <laughs> no, not up there. I'm saying, like, you get, like, a fruit salad in some diners and stuff, and it's that, like, I don't know what it is, but it's got, like, that sugar juice that's all over it.
0: All right. Well, uh, let, let's breeze through the news here and get to Anne so we can kick off this amazing show. I know Carol and I are, like, absolutely stoked to have these conversations. How's that sound? Sounds good. I'm excited. Anne's great. All right. Let's, uh, let's kick off the news Hello. Here. I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer.
2: Just the facts, ma'am.
0: Okay, during this part of the show, we announce worthy news stories to our adoring listeners to let them know all about the latest and greatest in free young adult programs, services, events, projects, and stuff. If you have an upcoming program, service, event, project, conference, or stuff that you'd like to hear broadcast during this part of the show, please fax to us at 646-861-2565 or email Jack. At Jack at i2y.com. Take it away, bro.
2: Thank you, Matthew. Here's your Stupid Cancer news. Everyone should head on over to events.i2y.com to see what's going on in your area. We have Stupid Cancer Happy Hour scheduled in Connecticut. I'm going to that. Tomorrow night, September 29th in Hartford. We have the uh, New York City Metro chapter hosting an Apple Festival on October 4th. We have Stupid Cancer Happy Hours in Philadelphia, October 13th, in North Carolina on October 20th, and back to New York City on October 31st, we are hosting our Halloween scare So head on over to events.i2y.com and check out the latest and greatest I2Y events in your area. I'm going to read Carol's book second after the events because I neglected to plug her book last week and Carol I apologize for that go for it everything changes the insider's guide to cancer in your 20s and 30s written by our very own super cancer co-host Carol Rosenthal everything changes is available wherever books are sold and you can check out the book's website at everythingchangesbook.com 70k.org that's the letter I'm sorry that's the word 70 the letter k.org there are approximately 70,000 people aged 15 to 39 diagnosed with cancer every year Sign this petition and show your support for the young adult cancer community and establish 70k.org as the Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Bill of Rights to be established as a standard for care to meet the needs of this underserved population that we all belong to. Are you a young adult survivor living in Rhode Island or Southeastern Massachusetts who would like to begin an exercise program? If so, check out Survivor Step Into Motion by contacting Santina Horowitz at area code 401-401. 793-8124 or you can email Santina S. Horowitz at lifespan.org Friday, October 16th in Cleveland, Ohio Rise Above It is hosting a symposium and a fundraiser a black tie fundraiser. For more information head on over to www.raibenefit.org can't Make a Dream is hosting their Women's Cancer Retreat October 8th through the 11th. And stay tuned to campdream.org for the 2010 retreat schedule for all of their programs. Planet Cancer is hosting their 18-25 to 25 year old retreat October 23rd through October 25th in Boston, Massachusetts. This retreat is free of charge and open to anyone who has ever had or has cancer and you only have to participate as much as you want to. Visit planetcancer.org for more information. The 12th International Thyroid Cancer Survivors Conference is being held in Boston, Massachusetts, October 16th through the 18th. Anybody whose life has been touched by thyroid cancer is encouraged to attend. For more information and to register, go to www.thyca.org. Or you can call 877-588-7904. Visual Diaries. A snapshot of the Young Adult Cancer Experience. It's being hosted by our lovely friends at Cancer Care. Wednesday, September 30th, and Thursday, October 1st, from 6 to 9 in the West Chelsea Arts Building in New York, New York. Tickets are $25 a person. $30 at the door, and include a wine and cheese reception. Head on over to cancercare.org for more information. And finally, we have Live On Sperm Banking by Mail. If you are a male, newly diagnosed, and need a Live On Kit for sperm banking before you start your treatment, head on over to liveonkit.com. Live Sperm Banking by Mail is made possible by our great friends at Fertile Hope. And that, my friends, is your stupid cancer news. All righty.
4: It? Okay,
0: my first guest it's Monday.
4: It's Monday. recently marked
0: Monday. her 12th Monday. cancerversary
4: Monday.
0: of her diagnosis of viewing sarcoma.
4: Monday.
0: She did a stint at the National Cancer Institute Monday. and is currently director... Of survivorship programs for the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. She also participates on the Live Strong Young Adult Alliance and sits on the board of directors for the Allman Cancer Fund for Young Adults. I've known her for quite some time now, she's remarkable. The one and only we love her to death. Please welcome Ann Willis.
4: <laughs>
0: Hi, Ann. Hello, Anne.
3: Thank Happy you.
0: Cancerversary.
3: Thank you.
0: Twelve years, huh?
3: Yeah, I can't believe it's been that long.
2: No, I'm just a rookie compared to you and Matt.
3: Yeah, yep. we,
0: we, we own you.
4: Well Anne does.
3: <laughs>
0: Anne owns you.
4: <laughs>
0: so, so you're a returning champion, but just for the you know, for, for our, our loving listeners here, you're diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. How old were you?
3: I was fifteen at the time.
0: Wow. Yeah, I, I will let you know this. My mother-in-law is listening to the show because my brother-in-law was diagnosed with urine at 13, and uh, he oh. passed away in 2003, but she's really fascinated to hear your story because it's so uncommon of a cancer, uh, and uh, so can you talk us through those, uh, those first couple of months? Yeah,
3: so... Um, no pressure. I found, what was
0: that? No pressure.
3: Um, I I had a tumor on the back of my head. I found it when I was washing my hair. And, um, you know, nobody thought it was anything. I went to the doctor, um, went to the doctor another couple months later for something totally unrelated, had it biopsied, um, and found out that it was cancer. I ended up having a rough time. You know, being 15 is really hard. Add a little cancer diagnosis to that makes things a little bit harder. Um, So I ended up having about 14 months of chemo. I had radiation, a couple surgeries, and here I am.
0: And uh, back in 1998, um, Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed in 95. Life was a whole lot different back then for us. Yep. And uh, what, I mean, you've basically seen the, the, the surge of young adult conversation and advocacy, you know, birth. Over the last, you know, ten years or so, um, I was really happy to see that you moved over from NCI to the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship because I always I love that organization, but I really felt that they needed an infusion of youth. And uh, can you talk a little about what NCCS does and how your fabulousness uh, has pushed along uh, different agendas?
3: Sure. Um, well, just to hit on something you mentioned before, back when I was diagnosed, there was nothing for young adults. I was treated at a pediatric center. I was the oldest person there, um, and then I was also treated by a private oncologist, and I was the youngest person there, so I'm very excited to give back to the community. Um, NCCS, the organization advocates for quality cancer care for um, all Americans. It doesn't matter the type of cancer. Um, and... Being in my position, I've been able to participate on the Young Adult Alliance, um, and I've also worked with the Ullman Cancer Fund for Young Adults, and so I've been very fortunate to work with a, a great group of people. Um, specifically at NCCS, our focus right now is around the idea of care planning, um, especially for young adults. I think this topic is really important. Um, once, I'll focus on the post-treatment part just for now, but... You know, once you finish with treatment, I don't know what your experience was, Matthew, but my experience was that the doctor basically said, all right, we'll see you later, and there was no plan for my follow-up care. Um, And so right now my organization works through many different avenues to help ensure that that um, care is coordinated from the moment of diagnosis throughout the end of life. Um, And so it's something that's really important to all young adults with cancer because there are issues that come up. Um, after treatment, and we tend to live longer with those issues. So,
0: Yeah, I, I went through pretty much the same thing. It was like, uh, you know, go home, enjoy your life, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that was it. I, I would what, what hospital were you treated at, by the way?
3: Um, I was originally treated at Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, and then, like I said, I went to a private oncologist about halfway through my treatment.
0: Yeah, because I was also, I was 21, you were 15, but, you know, I was still treated in pediatrics as well. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost interesting. You and I have a, a, a sort of a, a flip side perspective on the young adult uh, issue because most of the time it's you know I'm I have cancer. I'm 25 years old, and I'm in a room with like geriatrics.
3: Uh-huh. We
0: were we were in a room with little kids and squeaky toys. Yep. Yeah. So.
3: Yeah, so. and they would ha- the hospital would have you know programs for the kids to get together, but I was always the oldest one, and it was very weird, very awkward.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, I was one of the first adults um, that my pediatric oncologists ever spoke to. They were Mm. so used to talking to parents of four-year-olds. It was a bit of a a social experiment. Now, one of the things I like about NCCS, and and for the record, NCCS was the the very first cancer advocacy organization I ever got involved with in 2001. And uh, I have to thank Craig Lustig for introducing me to Stacia Grosso. Uh-huh. Way way back when, when I had a little more hair in my head, and what uh, was that? That was ages and ages ago. And uh, Ellen has really steered that organization so so steadfastly. The can you talk really quickly about the cancer survival survivorship toolkit that you guys put out there?
3: Sure. So the Cancer Survival Toolbox is an awesome resource. It's, um, it's free. You can download it on our website or you can actually get it on iTunes as well. Um, and basically it's this comprehensive guide. It's an audio program and it teaches people skills that they need um, to better advocate for themselves. I think a lot of times before you're diagnosed, you, you know how to communicate with people, but once you hear that diagnosis, everything goes out the window. Um, and so it's done through real-life stories, and it's very easy to listen to. So it's not like getting a whole bunch of booklets. It's all audio. Um, and it, it, it covers basic skills that you need, and then it also covers some special topics like how to pay for care um, or living beyond cancer. And so you, it, can, you can get it from our website, which is canceradvocacy.org slash toolbox.
0: And is it applicable to every age group, or is it more of a generalized sort of roadmap or a navigation guide?
3: Well, so the way that it's done is through different individual stories, and we try to be pretty thorough in the different types of stories that we include. So there definitely are young adult stories. Um, there, you know, it, it sort of runs the gamut. We want to make sure that we have representations for, you know, the vast majority of people.
0: Got it. And, and how many have you given out so far?
3: So the program actually, um, we last year was its Cancerversary, and we've given out hundreds of thousands of them now. And we um, we used to have them on cassette back in the old days, wow. and now they're available on CD as well as um, podcasts.
0: Wow! You should put them on vinyl just for good measure.
3: <laughs> That's next.
0: So uh, just wrapping up real quick because it's the spotlight. Uh, what, what you know, tonight's show is about legislation, and I know that NCCS has a lot of great relationships with a lot of members of Congress, and every time you do a ribbon of hope, the whole place is filled up with congressional leadership. How are uh, you guys, if you are at all, trying to influence or raise awareness for the young adult issues within the, the, the panoply of ridiculousness that is politics in D.C.?
3: Well, like I mentioned earlier, our biggest um, concept right now is care planning. And we have a piece of legislation, the Comprehensive Cancer Care Improvement Act, HR 1844. Um, And so it basically provides reimbursement for physicians to um, provide patients with a written treatment plan, a treatment summary, and a follow-up care plan. And although the legislation is not aimed at Um, young adults. It's aimed at Medicare physicians. Medicare is the sort of gold standard. So once Medicare starts paying for things, um, then other insurance companies start to um, follow suit. So it's something that definitely has the ability to significantly impact the care that um, young adults with cancer receive.
0: Well, there you go. And I guess my last question for you is, um, and you don't have to answer this per se, but um, are you Liking Obama's pitch right now for health care reform, or are you critical of it and think it could use some more work?
3: Well, you know, it's tough. I think that the system is so broken, and so many people are unhappy that it's going to be a challenge to, to come up with something that, you know, people are going to be able to agree on. I think shooting really hard for that um, is a good goal.
0: Well, I, I really thank you for, for being on the show. we love to have you on. And yes, like I said, one of my favorite organizations, the website is canceradvocacy.org. And will we be seeing you in Austin?
3: Um, yes.
0: Yay. Uh, you just made my ear.
3: <laughs>
0: all right, Ann Willis, thank you so much. Congratulations on your 12-year Cancerversary. Wish you all the best. Thanks, Ann. Great, thank you. Okay, Ann Willis, everybody, from the National Coalition for <laughs> Cancer Survivorship. Alrighty, and on to our next guest.
4: Okay, Molly Daniels is the Vice
0: President for Field Advocacy at the American Cancer Society's Cancer Action Network, the advocacy affiliate of the American Cancer Society. In that role, she heads up a team that oversees the organization's federal grassroots efforts, as well as state and local campaigns. She also oversees all advocacy training for volunteers across the country. Her team provides policy, campaign, and grassroots support and counsel, virtually all of the organization's advocacy activities. Please welcome to the show, my pleasure, is to welcome Molly Daniels.
5: Hey, guys. Hello, Molly.
0: Welcome aboard. There.
5: Hey, listen, thanks for having me on, you guys.
0: We are so excited, and Carol's chomping at the bit to get this going right away.
5: Okay. Hey, Hey, Carol. How are you doing? Good. I'm really glad to be with you guys. It was great listening to Ann talk about what they're doing.
1: You know, it just really is inspiring listening to these stories. Well, you guys are doing such an amazing job at ACS Can, and I just want to dive into talking about policy and kind of tap your your policy brain. And I want to start off with the first question, which is, What exactly is policy and health care policy? That's a word that we hear tossed around so often. But I think sometimes as patients, we don't totally understand what policy and legislation and laws have to do with our cancer care. So connect the dots for us. Well, you know what? It's a
5: question I get all the time, Carol. And fortunately, I get it less than I used to. But when I first came on board, a lot of people said, I don't understand what politics and politicians have to do with cancer. You know, why is cancer a political issue? And the truth is just that uh, there's a lot of laws and social policy that affect cancer patients, whether it's at the state level or at the federal level, and that's what we spend a lot of time on, whether it's health care reform, which you guys were just asking Ann about, or whether it's a smoke-free law in the state of Texas. So it runs a gamut from local community legislation to big-time federal legislation, like what we're talking about in health care reform. One of the Challenges I see is people just get intimidated by the process. I don't know if you guys see that when you're talking to people on your show. Once people realize they can share their stories, and that's what what legislators need to hear, it becomes really easy, and it breaks down some of the myths and some of the intimidation. So let's
1: let's take an example that we can walk through of some kind of legislation. Maybe there's something that has affected young adults. Some kind of legislation that you know of that may affect young adults with cancer. Can you talk to us a little bit about, like, what the problem was, how people went about solving it, what kind of legislation was passed, a sort of success story so that we can see really tangibly what are these policies that are affecting our lives and how do we make yeah,
5: that change? Yeah, it's a great question, and one that comes to mind is, is is a law we worked on last year called Michelle's Law, and it's named after a student at Plymouth State University in New Hampshire. She was diagnosed with colon cancer. But she had to stay a full-time student while she was undergoing chemo in order to stay on her family's insurance. And, it, you know, it just was awful for her, and she ultimately lost her battle to the disease. And it started with her mom. Her mom was just really angry, that obviously, that this had to happen, took it to the state legislature in New Hampshire, and then started talking to federal lawmakers. We got involved. And I don't know if you know, we have a program called Colleges Against Cancer, which is uh, all over the country. It's, it's students who work on local relays, but they're also getting more and more involved in advocacy. And they took this on. They sent over 10,000 emails in support of the legislation. It was signed last year by President Bush, and it actually goes into effect next week. And it, just, it will allow some seriously ill college students to take up to 12 months medical leave from school without risking being dropped from their parents' health insurance plan. Well,
1: really Bush needed. Bush actually this. did something we could be proud of. <laughs>
5: it's, a really, it, it's a really important law, and it started at a very personal level with a student in New Hampshire, and it has grown to uh, a federal law that will impact thousands. What's interesting about this law is that it moved fairly quickly, because as, as you guys know, legislation can take years and years even decades. So it it was a big hole that Congress got it together and fixed.
1: So it sounds like, to me, a lot of the things that we complain about in our daily lives, about getting access to health insurance or about how our cancer care actually runs administratively, a lot of these things hinge on laws and policies.
5: No question. And and I think that's why you're seeing so much attention on health care reform because you guys know the statistics. There are millions of people not only uninsured but underinsured. They think they have insurance, then they get a cancer diagnosis only to find out that they don't have the kind of insurance they need to. So they're not only fighting the disease, they're fighting with health insurers. So it's really important to us, and we are spending a whole lot of energy working on health care reform with this Congress and this administration.
1: So passing laws that will sort of help regulate the the kinds of um, loopholes that insurance companies can or can't make? To
5: Absolutely. Them. I mean, insurance companies, um, you know, may turn people down because they have a pre existing condition or charge people more because of their health status.
1: Sure we so we're really hopeful that. Yeah. that. I'm sorry? I know we can we're all, all familiar with to that. that.
5: Yeah. yeah, so this, if this legislation is done right, it has a chance to really stop a lot of those bad practices. And we're, we're really hopeful. That's why we're so invested in it.
1: So talk a little, you know, you guys are a branch of the American Cancer Society, and ACS CAN stands for right. American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. So tell us right. about what kind of action you guys are taking that's reaching out to younger people, to people in their twenties
5: and thirties. Well, we're we're doing a lot of this social networking that you guys are so familiar with. That I have had to come had to become familiar with. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at ACSCAN. Um, we now. Mobilize volunteers through our texting campaign. You can text Reform R E F O R M at 73585 to get on our mobile action network and get urgent action alerts.
1: Can you say that one more time, just so can be, down If I, they want
5: to, yeah, I'd be happy to, Carol. You can text Reform R E F O R M to 73585, and this will get you on our mobile action network, so you can be so you can receive urgent action alerts. You can join us on Facebook by going to acscan.org slash Facebook, and it will directly link you to our cause page, which is Winning the War on Cancer Requires healthcare Reform. But the, but the other important thing that I would share with you guys is the, one of the, the, the biggest impacts we think we've had on the whole discussion of health care reform is just urging lawmakers to look at the issue through the cancer lens. So one of, one of the things we've been doing is connecting people with stories, much like the story Ann was just sharing, with lawmakers. And there's nothing quite like, you guys know this, there's nothing quite like putting a face on an issue and having a constituent go in and say, here's my story, or sending that email or making that phone call. It's had an enormous impact, and I think you're seeing the president, you're seeing a lot of legislators talk about, cancer patients as they're talking about the need for health care reform.
1: So say a little bit more about, like, if we go on your Facebook page or text the number that you just told us about, what what happens? What are the kinds of alerts? What are the actions? What are the steps that people do when they become involved with you? Well,
5: we're going to try to keep you involved by keeping you up to date on our, we send out a lot of emails to folks to keep them up to date on what's going on. We encourage it at, at different Strategic points in the political process, we ask folks to send a letter or make a phone call or send an email, and it's really about just a lot of communication so that people can feel like they're in the loop on what's happening uh, on Capitol Hill. So we it's will, all, if, if it's like, people
1: towards Capitol Hill and how to get in touch with our representatives. In this,
5: yeah, in this particular campaign, it is. But again, we go, we do a lot of stuff at the state level too, whether it's a tobacco tax campaign. Um, whether it's a smoke-free campaign, whether it's getting screenings for people so that, it, so that the state requires insurers to cover mammograms, for instance. So, you know, we'd love to pull in your listeners. We think we're doing some exciting things. We're getting more and more people involved. I talked about Colleges Against Cancer, and one of the programs that they're starting this year is something called Young Alumni, so that those kids, after they're done with college, can go into this new program and still be involved. And what's exciting to me is seeing young people want to get involved in the legislative process so and want to get a little get... Bit
1: more like some of the examples that you just gave of like screenings for mammograms which are amazing and so important that people have access to it but it's really our mothers and grandmothers who need that kind of access because a 23 year old is not going to you know, find their breast cancer detected through a mammogram. So, talk to us a little bit about, like, what are some of the issues that you're talking about now, or that you're sending out alerts on that are really going to hit home to people who are in their 20s and 30s? Like, the things well, that are going to get us riled up. What, okay, what are you Okay. Well, us to do now.
5: I think a lot of younger people are real interested in smoke-free laws. Um, they want to be able to. Part of it is they want to be able to go into a bar and not have it be hazy with smoke. But the other thing I can tell you is that. Smoke-free laws cut down on teenagers picking up smoking. The same is true for tobacco taxes. If the tobacco tax is raised in a particular state, less people pick up cigarettes.
1: And what kinds of things regarding health care reform, because that's a word that we just keep hearing over and over again, that's it's so timely and so salient. What kind of health care reform actions are you taking now that might be really gripping well,
4: listeners? Well, the, the, tr-
1: the truth is that a lot of young people aren't
5: insured. And they think they're not vulnerable. But you guys, I heard uh, Matthew talking about the statistics on cancer. Over, over 65,000 people um, in the age bracket that's your listeners you know, are going to get cancer. And health care reform is going to urge younger people to get insurance. It's a big problem right now. A lot of the underinsured, the uninsured and underinsured are young people.
1: So, Matthew, you, you had a question uh, that you wanted to ask.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that uh, the American Cancer Society has done exceptionally well is the smoking cessation campaigns over the last couple of decades. Yeah. Is the, uh, you you, or you may or may not be aware, but recently the news has now officially come out, the World Health Organization, the CDC, has now conflated that tanning salons have as much risk for cancer as smoking. But, of course, the tanning salon population is largely my generation, the youth culture. Yeah. Does the ACS have a position, or are you planning to formulate one for a national campaign about stop tanning, you're white enough, and give it up?
5: You know what, Matthew, I'm I'm glad you asked the question, because it's an issue that is becoming much more uh, prevalent in a lot of localities around the country. Um, We don't have a national campaign on it yet, but we are definitely working on it in a number of states. And if you or your listeners will go to dot uh, acscan.org, you can find out more information about that. It's a great question.
0: Yeah, I, I often feel like, uh, you know, um, taking some sort of really disgusting cancer sticker, like, you know, the lung cancer commercials where it just shows, like, this piece of lung in a dish? Oh, yeah. And just putting yeah. them, like, all over tanning salons Yeah. <laughs> for no other reason than to disgruntle the people that own them. <laughs> because I, it's just I don't know. I Do you have the end of my question will bring Carol back for a second? But do you have any thoughts on the narcissism in this in my generation? Why tanning is so relevant and how there's going to be a way to you know this this invulnerability, this invincibility complex.
5: Talk about that a little more, Matthew. I want to make sure I understand your question. Well, the
0: the notion of young adults are the most likely age group to get misdiagnosed or to not take themselves seriously enough to consider, uh, you know, self-exam or seeing their yeah. doctors routinely, and the lack of insurance, you know, is basically a barrier for them to even think about caring about it.
5: Right, and especially in this economy when it's harder to get jobs and it's harder to get jobs where there are benefits like health insurance. It's a real problem. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I think that... Um... I think that often lawmakers say, oh, these young adults who are, you know, these young invincibles who don't think that they need, you know, have the need for insurance. Well, we know that we want and need insurance. We just can't afford it. And that's right. why it's so great that you guys are advocating for us. So as we wrap up, I'm wondering if you can just tell folks again where they can go to your website to get involved and learn more about the specifics of what you guys are going through. What's yeah, what
5: I'd doing? love uh, everybody to go to our website, which is acscan.org, or Twitter us at ACSCAN. And again I'll go back to texting reform to seven three five eight five. And we're on Facebook at ACFCan.org slash Facebook.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having us for having, you know, your information and knowledge for our listeners on the show. I mean, it's just so important that, that folks start to get involved and, and take action beyond just, you know, thinking about the science of cancer and how we can change the science. We need to be changing the laws too.
5: Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate you guys uh, letting me come on. I really enjoyed it. Well, well thank you very much. Thanks, guys. All You're right. doing good stuff.
0: Excellent, excellent. Okay, Molly Daniels, everybody. All righty, now it's time for our next guest. Okay, Duncan Cross has had Crohn's disease for 15 years. In that time, he has taken tens of thousands of pills, been in the hospital dozens of times, undergone several surgeries, and participated in three clinical trials. Three years ago, surgeons removed his colon, leading to the remission of his disease. Just over a year ago, he decided to use his excess energy to start blogging about illness, health, and healthcare. One of the nation's most profound writers in the blogosphere. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, ladies and gentlemen, Duncan Cross. Duncan. Hello, my
6: friend. Hello, hello. Thank Hi, you for having me on.
0: Real, real honor, my friend. We, we're huge fans.
1: Great. We're really so wow. glad to have you here, and I'm looking at how short our time is and how vast Your knowledge is so (laughs) we're just gonna like totally throw questions at you.
6: Okay, fire them up (laughs) left
1: left and right. So um, yeah, so we're just gonna push this conversation along so we can get as much out of you as we can. (laughs) All right. So the first question I have for you is, you know, you went through this horrible experience you know i mean boy young adults we we do not have the corner on the market of like suffering and disease and illness you know you you (laughs) i don't stand to folks with other diseases too and you had colitis and you you plowed through that um and towards the end of your care most recently you know, you went through this experience where you had all these clinical issues and clinical problems, the things that we have wrong with our body and the things that we go to the doctor for. But after you sort of graduated through the clinical side of things, you started recognizing that there are other problems that you were facing beyond just the physical, clinical issues. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you started realizing about the social issues that were going on in your life and the changes that need to be made?
6: Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, I- I was diagnosed when I was I was 17, and I and the uh, sorry yeah 17, and uh, I first had symptoms when I was 16, uh, and uh, for a long time uh, my uh, my disease was in more or less under control, but starting in about 2003, I just got really really sick, uh, and and that led up to uh, having my, my colon removed in, in 2006, and uh, you know the surgeon when he when he was when he was trying to sell me this operation. Because, of course, I didn't want it. You know, I didn't want to live with an appliance. And he told me, you know, this is going to cure your, your disease. You're going to be cured of Crohn's disease. And I thought, you know, all the stuff that I associated with being sick, you know, with difficulties with insurance and prescriptions and, and all that stuff, you know, I thought that was going to go away. And so I went through the operation, and, and it was a dramatic change in, in sort of the, the, uh, the pathology and, and the symptoms of my disease. I mean, I definitely have a lot more energy. I don't feel sick all the time. But at the same time, I'm not healthy the way sort of a, uh, I guess, a normal person would consider themselves healthy. I still have health issues. I still take medicines. I still see a lot of doctors. And uh, a lot of the, the things that I would sort of assumed would go away once I'd had the surgery were still problems. And I started realizing that a lot of the things that I had assumed were just sort of intrinsic to the clinical manifestation of my disease, a lot of the things that I thought were just biological uh, Were in fact social problems, uh, uh, political problems, legal problems, uh, administrative problems, uh, and I started paying a lot more attention to this this latter general category, and thinking about you know how can these things change, how can how how does this affect my experience with illness, uh, and and once I started thinking about it, I wanted to talk about it, I wanted to write about it, and, and that's uh, that's how I ended up blogging about it.
1: Well, I want to dive into the meat of one of the matters that you write a lot about on your blog, and that is the current health care reform. And we hear that word, health care reform, this, that, and other, tossed around. But I want to talk about, you know, when it comes down to it, young adults make up half of the uninsured population in the United States, people in their 20s and 30s. And no matter how many people say that young adults just don't want health insurance, I don't believe it's true. I think that we can't afford it. It's too expensive, and that's why we don't have access to it. So I want to talk about the public option Educate us about what your perspective on the public option is. Help define what that means, because I think that there have been so many myths tossed around about this and that. Just give us sort of public option 101 and what the pros and cons are.
6: Take okay. Yeah. Well, um, the, the public option is a, a, a basically a compromise. Uh, there are a number of people in this country who think that a single-payer system similar to Canada uh, is the best way to go. Uh, There are a number of people who think that sort of a market-based reform uh, is the way to go. Um, And the public option was proposed as sort of a compromise position between the the two of these. And sort of the the very basic idea is that, um, you know, if private insurance is so great uh, compared to public programs, then this would be a way for the private insurance to compete directly against a public program. So the government would uh, establish, would would give seed money to basically a a quasi-government insurance plan uh, that people would buy into. Uh, It would uh, pay for itself with premium money, Uh, so it wouldn't be something that taxpayers would pay for, but the people who actually enroll in it pay for it.
1: Can I stop Uh, you right there? Yeah. that people say, oh, this is going to cost too much. Have you crunched the numbers, and do you think that it's possible for people paying into the system to cover the, the, the cost of it?
6: Well, I mean, that's the, that's the big experiment, right? Is, is, uh, I, I think it's possible. I think there's, a, um, there's a, a potentially a trick to it uh, um, in that uh, it may attract people who are uh, tired of their private insurance, which is going to be the people who are sicker. So there's some problem of, of adverse selection. I mean, if, if, I mean like me, I've, I've been pretty ill for a while. I'm really tired of my private insurance. I've had a couple of insurance companies over the last few years. Uh, you know, they, They've just been endlessly frustrating uh, when I get really sick. And personally, I would be the first in line for a public option. The, the problem, uh, and I'm not sure that anybody has really uh, um, sort of thought this through, but, but maybe I'm wrong on that is that, you know, if a lot of people like me, if a lot of people who are dealing with their insurance companies on a, you know, a, a weekly or monthly basis, and because they're ill, uh, uh, bail on, on private insurance and go to the public option, th- it may end up being more popular with sick people uh, than with the healthy people, which would then uh, create a bit of a problem. But the, 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 um, the logic behind the plan is that, people, uh, is that private insurance includes a lot of money for overhead, and marketing and, uh, and, and profits, uh, that, that doesn't, um, that a public plan wouldn't do. I mean, Medicare is sort of the quintessential public plan, right? Uh, nobody was, uh, giving private insurance, nobody was selling private insurance to seniors because they were all broke. Uh, they all had a lot of diseases. And so, uh, the government, you know, about, uh, 40 years ago, created Medicare to be sort of a public plan for elderly people. And since then, no private insurers have stepped up and said, we want to compete against Medicare uh, to get this business. Um, and Medicare is able to do what it does with a, a significantly lower overhead um, than, uh, than most private insurance. In fact, all private insurance plans are, are able uh, to do. Um, so the, the idea is that the public option, by avoiding uh, a, you know, these excess costs that don't go directly to care,
1: like million dollars a year for salaries for an executive.
6: Exactly, exactly. The, I mean, these sorts of things, like big glossy ads, like you know, uh, um, uh, marketing and and stuff like that. Like all of this sort of excess cost by by putting that money back into care. Uh, the idea is that the the public option could charge less for premiums, uh, and deliver a, a better value um, for uh, for its customers.
1: Well, I'm asking, um, you, you said that the public option would be so attractive to people like you and me who are actually either critically sick or have preexisting conditions or have maintenance care that's very expensive and that private insurers don't want to cover us. I've been so surprised that most, I think, uh, every cancer organization I know of that no one is stepping up to the plate and saying we support the public option. They say we support health care reform, but that doesn't really mean anything. Anybody can say that
6: Right. You know, right. What they
1: want to do health care reform. You know, what? why do you think that no cancer organization that I know of has stepped forward to say we support a public option?
6: Well, I think part of it is a misunderstanding about, about what the public option is. Um, uh, I mean uh the people who are opposed to the public option are portraying this as a government takeover of of the healthcare system of of the insurance market uh and the the fact is that in sort of the most ambitious of the of the bills that that are currently under consideration the public option would only be available to a very small subset of uh of people who um who basically it'd only be available to people who can't get insurance any other way so I think a lot of people are, are sort of misunderstanding the scope of, of this proposal. It's actually fair, rather modest. Uh, the second thing is is that I, I think this is, is seen as being too political a stance to take. Uh, too I mean it, it's, it's widely associated with sort of liberals, and that's become a bit of a, a bugaboo, I guess. And so there's some concern, I think, in these organizations. Uh, or you know that that they would alienate people by by taking too liberal a position uh, on the, the the reform. I mean, one of the the things that that uh, you know those of us that are interested in that this issue that are talking about it that are, are trying to advocate about it is uh, one of the problems is that this is a very muddy debate. There's a lot of, of misinformation, uh, um, misunderstanding going around. Uh, there are a lot of really com- complicated ideas. I mean, it's not just that, that there are sort of bad ideas floating around, but some of these ideas that have been discussed are, are kind of complicated and nuanced, and it just sort of defies the amount of attention that most people have for these kinds of discussions. Uh, and I think
1: that it's, it's so ironic that. Um that cancer organizations are concerned about alienating their constituents when, in fact, their constituents are the most sick, the most... Right. From, yeah, it's interesting. I, I know Matthew has a question.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, everything you say, I have ten things to respond to. I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, my, just This is a sort of a throwaway, but the cure to your Crohn's was to remove your colon, right?
6: Right. Well, so cure is like, sort of...
0: Uh, um, uh, a
6: matter of degree. I no, think. but that's
0: what I'm saying. Like, like if my arm hurt, the cure to my arm not hurting is to cut it off. I think right. that's, that's such a ridiculous, you know,
4: conclusion <laughs> to right.
0: the problems. But that, that notwithstanding, my personal belief, and I'm happy to say that i 2 takes a full stand for the public option because we believe Great. that, that health care is a right and that so long as it is in the hands of a system that is based on profit and not ethics, no one will ever win. So with that said, and, and, and coupled with all the other stuff that the young adult population is the most likely to not be able to afford or have access to health care, or if you do have it, you're underinsured, for existing condition clauses and whatnot, and that something like two-thirds of all medical bankruptcies are people under 40. So with, with, with all that said that I just really wanted to get out of me, uh, I know you were listening <clears throat> to the American Cancer Society lady before us. She didn't really seem to take a stand on anything except – Uh, And I say this with love, but whatever their agenda is, and I'm not really convinced that they're going to be as effective as I would like them to be in terms of truly getting what needs to get done, done. The last thing I'll say is that... Something like I'm making this now Ellen Degeneres once said that 42% of all statistics are made up on the spot. So I'm just going to make one up right now, and that, <laughs> that is Matthew, something like. you
1: are so bad.
0: So two thirds of all Americans are in favor of the public option, but none of them know what it means. And I think the idea is just that people feel that there is an entitlement that you shouldn't have to pay to be well. So at the end, so my <laughs> question after all that. My question is, should I be hopeful, or will the, the you know, 30% of the nutbags there that are getting 90% of the
6: attention are going to ruin it for all of us? Well, I, I think you can be, I mean, I think you can be hopeful. Uh, that's sort of the, the, the theme of this administration, and, and, and I, I wouldn't want to rain on their parade. Uh, I mean, even if the public option doesn't pass, I mean, God forbid, but even if it doesn't come to that, the 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 sort of the basic package of reform that that a lot of people seem to agree on is pretty aggressive and and pretty transformative in that it would make it uh... Um, it would basically open up the private market uh... to people that are not able to get insurance uh... it would make insurance more affordable it would make it uh... required in most circumstances so i mean even if even if the public option doesn't pass uh... it um... i think i think there's good reason to be to be optimistic as far as the public option itself, I'm, I don't honestly know. I mean, it, it seems like it could go either way at this point. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of it, – yeah, I mean, it's one of those weird things. Like, if you, if you call people and say, do you support the public option, you know, you get a, a much lower response rate than if you call them and explain sort of, okay, this is what a public option is. And they say, oh, that's a, you know, that's a great idea. You know, most of them think that's a good idea. Um, but I think a lot of people just you know don't quite grasp what the idea is and, and why it would work and, and why it makes sense. And um, I, I mean, one in an ideal society, one would look to our legislators to be sort of the leading edge of this and to to do a better job of understanding these issues. Uh, I mean, but but we go to to um, you know we we have the society we have and and the legislators we have and and some of them are, are sort of. I mean, deliberately ignorant about this, and they, and they've made it sort of a. Uh, I think uh, w- one of them, I think maybe Olympia Snow has said that there's no way, you know, the public option is ever going to make it, and, and whether she, you know, they can back that up, is uh, remains to be seen. But I think, I mean, I think you can, I, I think you can still be hopeful in well, but general. But what, and
1: what is it that we can't? I mean, I think one of the most hopeful things. The most empowered I have ever felt was when I made a promise to myself to quit bitching about my lack of access to care and start doing something about it. And I was like, I'm only going to do really tangible actions. I'm going to shut my mouth and stop fetching and make a difference. And when I try to do that, it's like you go on these websites and people are like, tell your story, sign an Internet petition, write your story online, you know, make a phone call. Put a letter into the editor. What what of that is actually effective? What if you were going to prioritize, like the best, most important things you can do to make a difference and be heard? What is it?
6: Uh, call your call your legislator. Um, that's uh, more
1: important than like signing a petition.
6: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's probably a you know dozens of petitions floating around out there. I know I've signed at least three, um, and and I don't know that uh, any of them is. is has made that much of a difference. But uh, I mean, legislators, people in Congress, they depend on votes. And the thing that they listen to the most is uh, you know, people from their 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 districts who um, you know, who have a position on these issues. If uh, you know, if an issue if they're getting a lot of calls uh one way or another uh on an issue, if they know it's going to be popular uh, or unpopular in their home district, uh, there's really no amount of lobbying or or uh, um, money that can that can change their minds because uh, they know you know come two six years from now they're going to have to go before those same voters and defend that decision and uh, and so that's effective. Um, the and, and you don't even have to know who your your legislators are if you call the Capitol switchboard and just say this is where I live uh, they will figure out who your legislators are. Everybody has three two senators and a member of Congress uh, a representative. And, and you, can just, you can spend about ten minutes and just go through uh, each one of those. And all you have to do is, is talk to their staff assistant, uh, that's the person who answers the phones, and say, you know, I want to I express my support for the public option. Uh, and they'll write down your name and maybe your address or zip code, and, and they'll pass that information on to the, uh, to the, the, the member of Congress. And that's, I mean that's really, A, that's the first thing you should do, but it's also the most effective. From there, I think uh,
1: it's important too when you call to let them know if you're a cancer patient or something right, yeah, or yeah,
6: cancer
1: and yeah,
6: yeah, uh, and and from there, I mean, once you've done that, uh, there are, uh, I mean, a lot of things that you can do that are sort of not going to be as effective, but but if you have the energy for them, I mean, they're definitely good ways uh, uh, to to do them. I mean, telling your story is 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 important, I think, um, but I mean, I think a lot of us. Uh, and, and I know this is true for me. You know, a lot of us have friends that, uh, um, you know, who have said, oh, you know, when you're sick, you know, just give me a call if you, you know, if you need anything or, you know, stuff like, I mean, people that, that sort of are support network. Um, uh, you know, if, if I were to, these would be the people that I would, I would done if I were going to try and raise money or something like that for, a, you know, an advocacy organization. And, and going to those people and saying, you know, this is important to me. This is an issue that affects my life. Talking to them about, you know, this is, this is why it. Uh, why it's important, and and trying to you know talking to them about you know getting behind it about having them call their their members of Congress uh, um, and and express their support. But
0: how effective is that? I don't want to jump in here. I'm I'm a deeply rooted cynical New York Jew, and I don't believe in anything in, in D.C. for that matter. I, I I I went through this legislation training thing where they taught you how to walk and talk and do the elevator thing. Do those? I mean, yeah, they're real people. They have lives. But have they just been so matrixed? in their universes where they have no clue what's really going on and how do you really actually influence them? Just respond to my utter jadedness, please. Well, I think, I I mean, he
1: just said it when you said that that votes matter. I mean, they want to be elected. That's the bottom line These folks want to be reelected.
6: I I mean, I think your, your jadedness is, is somewhat justified. Uh, I mean, the, there's sort of a, 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 uh, a level at which you can you can get into this stuff and be very optimistic and and sort of have your uh i mean and and just have your hopes and dreams crushed uh but I think if you go into it sort of guardedly optimistic you can do a lot and just i mean understand that this is 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 a process and there are people who are are pretty powerful who oppose it and 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 I mean you're not going to win it with one phone call uh it's it's something that requires perseverance but they will listen i mean they they do listen to 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 their voters that is you know the i mean they're out of office and and that for most of them is 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 the most important thing is is to um you know to and 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 sometimes they just do the right thing with uh, a minimum amount of of prodding uh and and it and it works i don't know if if you guys paid attention to this but uh last year uh something called the ada restoration amendment passed or um act passed rather um And this was basically a law that that virtually nobody lobbied for, uh, but basically restored broad protections. I think my understanding is that it even applies to people with cancer, that they would be covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, and People
1: with cancer in the workplace. Like everybody who's listening now and needs to go back to work when your chemo and radiation is done, this is huge. Yeah. Because it enables you to have all sorts of accommodations based on... Chemo brain and limitations due to your radiation and all and of these. Also,
6: for education or for, for, you know, if you want to use public facilities or any sort of anything like that. I mean, this, is a, I mean, this has the potential to really change a lot of lives for the better. And, and this is something that, that Congress did. Uh, uh, I mean, and, and as far as I can tell, there wasn't a lot of advocacy, there wasn't a lot of demand for it. Uh, um, Tom Harkin. A senator from Iowa looked at, at at how the law had been interpreted, the the 1990 Americans with Disabilities Act, how that had been interpreted by the courts, and he said, you know, the courts have gotten this entirely wrong. They've misunderstood what we wanted it to say. We're going to go back and we're going to fix this and we're going to make it right. Uh, and and there was some lobbying from chambers of commerce and stuff like that. I mean, to try and stall this, and it but it passed. And it's I mean, it's the law of the land uh, as of January of this year. I mean, it 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 matters uh and it's it's a good thing i think that we can be you know we can point to as something that that our congress did correctly so i mean there is the there is a you know the potential for for, for positive change uh in this case though the the opposition is is uh tremendous uh and it just it it requires a lot of perseverance a lot of activism and, and a lot of uh, and and on our parts i mean a willingness i think I, I know this is true for, for people with Crohn's disease and, and, and ulcerative colitis, but maybe not so much for cancer. But, you know, we have a very embarrassing disease and it's hard for us to talk about it. But the more we can talk about it and say, you know, this is how this impacts my life and be upfront uh, and, and sort of explicit about what we need from a health care system, I think the more people will understand and, 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 and see what needs to be done and the more effective we will be as advocates
1: well said, Duncan. I, you know, I think that if we as cancer patients have the audacity to believe that hopping on our bicycle or putting on our shoes and taking a stroll is going to do jack to change cancer, that one of those actions are going to do anything to find a cure. If we can have hope enough to think that riding our bike is going to find the cure for cancer, we don't have any reason to think that picking up the phone and calling one of our representatives can't help change the way that healthcare is run in the United States. I mean, I think that we've got to look at at, at how we can make a difference in, in all of these arenas.
6: Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, it's it just the calling. I mean, is it's so easy. The people that you talk to. I mean, even if you even if you hate your representative, even if they're uh, you know uh, completely on the opposite side of the issue from you. The people that you talk to are unfailingly polite. That's what they get paid to do. They're very nice. They'll write down your name or, or your, your address or whatever, uh, and they'll take that. To, and it just—I mean—it it takes you maybe 10 minutes, uh, 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 you know, to, to get all three done. And it's—it's it's just so—you know—it can be so effective. I mean, like I said, there's other things. You can write letters. You can—you uh, know—get involved with some of the organizations like Healthcare for America Now or Organizing for America. That are active on this and and doing more uh, you know advocacy work, um, but the you know the basic thing is is just to to get those calls in and, uh, and and to to you know to make sure that 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 your uh, elected officials know how you feel about this and, and know that it matters to you as as a cancer survivor as a young adult as somebody with an illness uh, whatever whatever it, it means.
1: So Duncan, before we leave, two things. One, um, do you have the number for the switchboard?
6: Yeah, I thought there was a, an 800 number, but uh, uh, I, I looked at it briefly and couldn't find it. But, uh, right, well, you know, everybody has free long distance. Yeah, so it's, yeah. uh, uh, the number is uh, area code 202-224-3121. Uh, I'll give that again. It's 202-224-3121. And you'll just call. And if you know who your representatives are, you can ask for them by name. Uh, if, you, uh, if you don't, you just say, you know, I live here. Uh, can you tell me uh, who my representative and, and senators are, uh, and and they'll they'll find a way to patch you through. And, uh,
1: and it's, it's so easy. You just I mean the people on the other end of the phone are just extremely nice, and you don't have to be an expert on policy. You don't have to be Duncan Cross. You know, <laughs> right. Just, just tell them what your experience is and and what it is that that you want them to vote for. And some more information for our listeners: um, your website address. I'd love for people to jump on board and start reading your blog and giving you their thoughts and opinions what's your url
6: yeah it's uh it's net. that's d u n c a n c r o s s all one word dot .net and i've got a lot of posts about you know all sorts of, of aspects of, of uh healthcare reform uh my search tool is is a pretty easy way to get get to that stuff and
1: um it's and so you know inviting. i think. yeah i mean it's it's it can be very daunting as a patient yeah to you know, think, oh, this world of politics and policy, we're going to enter how I ever understand it, but your, your website is just incredibly welcoming down to earth and just such a great resource.
6: Yeah, and I'm happy to answer emails as well. Uh, my, my email address is there on the site, uh, but it's just dx at, at duncancross.net. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's easy enough for me to, to respond uh, to, to specific questions via email, um, and I'm, I'm happy to do it.
1: Well, thanks for your generosity and for being on
6: the show. And it's Great. How- great, I've, I've enjoyed being here. Yeah, you know, we did a
0: show a couple of months ago called Any Young Adult Disease Sucks. And I think you're a shining example of, you know, how our generation is really trying to, you know, grab the man by the, by the balls and just do what we can in our intelligent, rebellious nature to, to really change the system. So congratulations for all that you do. You're a brilliant writer, and it was an honor to have you on the show.
6: As a matter of fact, I, I listened to that show. Uh, that was the first uh, uh, Stupid Cancer show I listened to.
4: Oh, yeah, okay.
0: Uh,
6: when, I was, when I was preparing, uh, after Carol asked me to come on, and I listened to it, and it was great, and I was like, yeah, this is really something I could, I could do, and, and, and I've really enjoyed it, so thanks.
0: Well, we'd love to have
6: you back, surely great.
0: not the last time, so good luck. Great, with you. look
6: forward to it, thanks.
0: All right, Duncan Cross, everybody. Let's say goodbye. Here we go. Bye. Take care, bro. You too. All right, so that's our our show, guys. Um, yeah. Any, uh, any big plans this week? I'm going to Dallas for a conference tomorrow. I'm going to D.C. on Sunday. Yeah. There. What's? Oh, there's a Jack Mannequin Jack concert. Mannequin concert. We're yeah. going to invade Jacks Mannequin. Carol, you back I'm to uh, Chicago? The entire
1: week with my phone glued to my ear, calling the Capitol. That's all, How could I not? After listening to Duncan, that's all I'm doing this week is calling my representatives.
0: You know, let's work on a a a. Um, uh... Beat down the man brochure. <laughs> Who why am I Mark? nervous right now? Yeah, I know, I know.
1: Well, I'm really curious, actually. Why don't we just sort of toss this out as a, a goal to anybody who's listening and wants to make this phone call to the Capitol? Um, let's check in uh, next week with each other. I mean, if 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 the host of the stupid cancer show can't get this done. Then, then there's a problem. So why don't we kind of make a pack that we'll all make a call this week and see who else is listening, uh, is going to check back in with us next week and make a call, too.
0: All right, I'm down with that. Excellent. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks again for another phenomenal show, and now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate.
2: Uh, I hear there's rumors on the Have uh, You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell... Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you got it again.
4: That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks,
0: that's tonight's show. I hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Love. I'd like to thank our guests, Duncan Cross, Ann Willis, and, and Molly Daniels. Next week's show, it is the beginning of We're the pink. Yes, finally. Pink <laughs> nausea. Stupid breast cancer with Survivor Spotlight, Stephanie Life LaRue. Janine Guglielmo from Living Beyond Life Breast Flood. Cancer. Jenna Glazer from the Young Survival Coalition.
4: To you. Sure to be a hell of a show. Oh. If you've
0: missed any of our previous broadcasts, check out the archive at stupidcancershow.com or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes at itunes.i2y.com. If you don't already have Carol's book, Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in Your 20s and 30s, it's available wherever books are sold. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week, my friends, live from the chemo desk, Jack Bufardt. Carol Rosenthal Captain Stubby, and I wish you all a great evening go to bed Dana Bogger
4: out welcome